Hey everyone, Dave here from Saturday Morning Cartoons with a special midweek interview. We're able to bring you this bonus episode thanks in part to Patreon supporters like Derek Haynes, Jake Grimshaw, Jamal Newman, Melanie Harker, John Helter, and the one and only Sean Paul Ellis. Head on over to patreon.com slash Saturday Morning Cartoons, and remember, that's morning with a U, to give us a $1 holler or more. Every little bit helps. Recently, I had a chance to chat with She-Ra and the princesses of power creator Noelle Stevenson about the newly released Season 4. There are some spoilers ahead for this season in this chat, along with some teases for Season 5, so just be aware of that. During our chat, we talked about new arrivals in Season 4, like Double Trouble and Horde Prime, and their part to play in the story, both in this season and going forward. We also talked about how the Season 4 finale completely changes the game for all the characters, and what that means for everyone in Season 5. All 13 episodes of the new season of She-Ra are currently streaming on Netflix, and it's quite possibly the best season yet. You can read my full review over on Collider or check the show notes below for a link, but having 13 episodes instead of 6 or 7 really gives the characters a chance to grow and change over the course of this season. Season 4 features some of the brightest and most fun moments of the series so far, like Glimmer's Coronation Ceremony and the Boys' Night Out episode featuring musical numbers, which everyone's been waiting for. But it also features a darker turn for the show's mythology. The arrival of Horde Prime, the fate of Etheria, and our heroes is threatened like never before. I, for one, can't wait to see what happens next season. And for more on that, here's my interview with Noelle Stevenson. Okay, so thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. And actually, first of all, before we even get started, congratulations on your wedding. Uh, the last we spoke. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, the last we spoke, it was, it was ahead of that, so we didn't get a chance to talk about it. Yeah, so excited to be married. It is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> And then in my awkward way to kind of tie that into She-Ra, it felt like Glimmer's coronation planning to start this season off maybe had a touch of uh, the stress <laughs> from wedding planning. Was that just a coincidence, <laughs> or did you kind of lend some of your real experience to that? I think, you know, we, we started uh, working on an episode, uh, I think Pamela and I got engaged. So that was a, something I think was a little bit more, I, I'm a big fan of, uh, wedding planning movies. Um, so that, there's definitely some of that in there. Um, but not so much film from my life, I would say. Um, more so just like, and, and fortunately, I think our wedding was not quite so, uh, such a huge sort of, uh, stressful affair for everybody. Uh, it was much more smooth, but definitely I've been a part of, um, of, of big weddings like that at times. And, uh, so, Kind of a little bit from some some real experiences, but not so much from uh, kind of looking at it narratively speaking, it was a great way to sort of set up the conflicts and the the team tensions and the internal tensions for the rest of the the season that carried on from there. So was that always kind of part of the idea of like this is a great kind of fun way to introduce those uh, those tensions that are are coming before we get to like you know the even heavier stuff later on. Yeah, I think our approach with Shira has always been we do want to delve into these lady things. We do want to, you know, tackle hard topics, but we never want to leave the fun behind. So that's where it's sort of turned into like the classic Shira episode structure is kind of like all, it's all a fun game and wacky hijinks and then everyone's crying. It's, I think it's a great way to kind of just like, you know, it's, I never wanted to just feel heavy. And there were a lot of episodes that, you know, maybe at first, because the stuff that needed to happen in them was heavy, they started feeling a little heavy. And then, you know, the writers and I took another look at them, and we found more ways to bring that fun out, which the No Mysteries episode is another good example of that, which initially that one was 
pure kind of war planning and strategy until we were like, wait, no, there has to be a, a more fun way into this. We can still have all that, um, you know, kind of sad and heavy stuff, but we always wanted to come from a place of, of, uh, where we can see some of the lightness and, and bring out the characters in fun ways. And speaking of the lighter and, and the, the, you know, the fun side of She-Ra as well, when I spoke to you in August and Marcus as well, we, you guys kind of teased the possibility of some musical numbers, some musical episodes. So we got to see that in, in season four, which was fantastic. So how challenging was that to put together and what are chances maybe to do something similar in the future? Honestly, I was really worried about our ability to pull that one off. Um, and then it came together. Actually, it ended up coming together so well. I feel like that was one of the episodes that just everything fell into place. Um, and all of our worries were sort of for naught. Uh, you know, our, uh, Shane Lynch, uh, she's our writer's assistant, script coordinator, and she, this was one of her, uh, first couple of episodes that she ever wrote, and she did such an amazing job, and it, uh, it was, it was just, it ended up being an episode where everything just fell into place. The music all came together really well. I think I told you in our last interview, I love this much thing. Uh, I think he's one of the non-singers in our cast, but he just always gives it his all, and he always has such a great time. I especially love watching him and Jordan uh, record together, because they just have so much fun. So, yeah, all of everything, I was kind of like, oh, can we kind of pull this off? Uh, all of those worries ended up not even factoring in, and it came together so well. I'm so pleased with it. Yeah, it was great. I loved it, and I would love to see more of that in the future if you guys find a way to uh, to work that into the script, which is getting increasingly kind of dire <laughs> and, and world threatening. So I don't know, I don't know where we'll find the room for it. I will keep that in mind. <laughs> I definitely want to spend some time talking about some new characters that you introduced this season. So specifically, Double Trouble. Can you talk about sort of modernizing a character that didn't really appear much in the original cartoon, but existed in the mythology, and also finding the voice and persona in Jacob Tobia. Yeah, I think Double Trouble didn't actually appear in the show at all in the original. Um, so it was actually a really, it, like, I, it's not even, I wouldn't even say it's a challenge. In fact, it was more of just kind of this exciting opportunity to showcase a character that hadn't really been showcased before, but had so much potential. Uh, anyone who's kind of familiar with my work knows that I love Shakespeare so much, and I think just about every story that I've ever told that has a Shakespeare character involved in some way. And I'm feeling like I'm always just like exploring new ways of uh, a character is able to control at their own whim what their relationship to the world is and what their relationship to other people is. That they can kind of just snap their fingers and instantly change how they're perceived, which I think is a fantasy of mine, especially but for so many uh, gender non-conforming and non-binary people. What is the significance? change your appearance based on how you were feeling in that moment. So I think it was something that just felt like, you know, we had always been planning to find a way to incorporate this character. It was just a question of when. And this season was so much kind of mixing up of good and evil and, and you know, putting relationships to the test. It felt like it was the perfect time for them to really wreak some havoc among our main characters. And, you know, Jacob just brought I think what's so fun about them is that they just bring this very, almost, just, they're just having so much fun. They almost are just taking this joy in the chaos that they're above it all. And they're a little bit untouchable, which I think is really fun. And all of our other characters are kind of so 
uh, emotionally invested and, and so embroiled in all of this. And, and Double Trouble just gets to kind of be this puppet sort of Loki figure, just, just kind of meddling here and there. Part of it is because it's their job, and part of it is just that they're having so much fun. So, uh, yeah, I think it was, honestly, it was so great getting to write and direct this character, and I can't wait for everyone to, to meet them. Absolutely, yeah, and I love that you said Chaos and Loki figure, because those definitely came through, and you could tell that they were having so much fun <laughs> with this character, but also kind of, you know, they get to kind of tweak the narrative to their own whims or, or choose whichever side suits their desires at the moment, which was, that was really cool. It was neat to see that, that kind of third yeah. party thrown in there. Yeah. Getting into some, a little bit more spoiler territory. You also get to introduce uh, a better look at Horde Prime uh, at the end here. So how many kind of iterations of that design did you go through and how difficult was that maybe to, to bring your own version of Horde Prime into the series? It's really interesting because I think that Horde Prime has been this shadow hanging over the series. And from the, point of, from the writing perspective, we've always planned to bring Horde Prime in as the kind of uh, the actual big bad, especially once Hordak is sort of revealed to be surprisingly vulnerable. Um, and I think that, you know, really learning who Horde Prime is, I think it recontextualizes Hordak in a really big way, even more so than what we learned in Season 3, where we find out that he's a clone and we find out that he's doing all of this to try and, you know, re-earn his place by Horde Prime's side. But also, in at the end of Season 4, we realize that Hordak kind of got the story wrong. We sort of see that everything he was trying to do with the Fright Zone was sort of a rip-off of what Horde Prime was doing. He was trying to make clones. He was trying to control people and make this army, and it all came out a little chaotic. Uh, he ends up with mostly an army of what seems like war orphans. Uh, whereas Horde Prime is so, his aesthetic is so clean. It is so oddly beautiful, eerily beautiful. He seems so cool and charming and in control and it's terrifying and we also see that he is a character who seems to have full control of Hordak and of the universe so seeing how easily he completely not just takes control of Hordak but completely wipes him and it's like oh crap this is like this is even worse than we thought he would be he's not just this you know kind of conquer the way that Hordak is. He's someone who doesn't just conquer. He takes full control. He completely imposes his will. And I think because of that, he almost has this more genteel... Uh, he, he carries himself in this very elegant way. He doesn't seem to be as angry or as... Um, he doesn't really yell. He doesn't... Or, or not... He doesn't yell right away. He's very measured. And so I think in that way, he's a surprise. Um, it was something, you know, uh, Keston, who voices both Hordak and Horde Prime, and I can't wait for everyone to see future episodes where, uh, he's kind of doing, uh, not just Horde Prime, but all his clones, and bringing all of these different voices to all of them. It's amazing to watch. Um, but he, uh, he actually, every time he records Horde Prime, he kind of puts in earphones and, like, listens to classical music while he does it. And it's incredible to watch, but it also is so kind of like, that is, this character, like, he is just, he thinks that he's doing the right thing, that he's bringing uh, light and order to everything. He's just remaking it in his own image. And I think that that is the most terrifying thing to all of our characters who have all been looking for 
identity uh, and what their place in the world is. And now Lord Prime is here, and he kind of just wipes the board clean again. So I can't wait for everyone uh, to see even more of him. He is absolutely terrifying and uh, just incredible to watch. Very cool. Uh, I think I've said this before, but I think she handles villains better than quite literally any other show on TV right now. You don't ever know exactly what you're going to get with a villain when you have what you think is a hero and they turn out to have their own designs, their own plans, their own machinations, and they become more of an antagonist than you ever thought. Like the twists you don't see coming. The ones that maybe you do, they're still delightfully done. Uh, I really do think this handles villains better than anything else on TV right now. I'm saying that. And, and of course, and speaking of, of Horde Prime, what would you say maybe is kind of an overarching theme to this particular season? For me, and maybe I'm off base, but for me, it was a lot about agency and a lot about consent because multiple characters are kind of forced into taking on roles or positions that they don't necessarily want and don't necessarily have a way out. Yeah, I, I definitely, I think that's true. Um, the characters, they have been placed in a position that we've never been in before where all of them have to step up and take on a greater responsibility. So I think the the premise of the entire show has been searching for identity and searching for your place in the world um, and in asking how you see yourself and what what how does the world see you versus how do you see yourself. So this season, I think, especially with Glimmer, it is taking these characters and putting them in a context where everything about how they see themselves changes. So Glimmer has always sort of been, you know, she's rebelling, she's kind of like pushing against the, um, her mother being this obstacle in her way, kind of trying to pull her back and protect her when she wants to show everyone that she's capable. And suddenly, she's the one in a position of authority, and suddenly, she doesn't have that thing to push back against anymore. Suddenly she's the one who is setting the, you know, setting the rules, giving the orders, and it completely changes how she sees herself. It completely changes her relationship to the world, to her friends, uh, to herself. And it's the same with Katra, who, again, is like, you know, she's, she's going after what she thinks she wants, she's achieving what she thinks she wants, and has no way of confronting, you know, the sort of, complete brokenness inside her. Um, and Adora, as well, she's looking for her destiny. She thinks she's found it. She thinks that she's found the right way to be She-Ra, that she can finally fulfill her purpose and save everybody and do it right, and then the rug is jerked out from her yet again, and everything is taken from her again. She-Ra is not what she thought it was. The sword is not what she thought it was. The theory is not what she thought it was. And just when she thinks she's starting to exert her own, you know, her own self-individuation, she finds out that this has all been part of this bigger plot the whole time, that her just being on Assyria in the first place was just her being a cog in another machine. And so I think at the end of this season, our characters have reached so hard for what they thought they had to be. And with the arrival of Horde Prime, it kind of, you know, everything is taken from them. And so I think that it leaves us in a really interesting place to start of the next season because, you know, this the thing that they all thought they had to do to be who they thought they had to be, it all it all got wiped away. And so now the question is actually, who are these characters? Who are they really inside? And how are they going to figure that out now that the stakes are higher than ever? 
Those are great teases, and I'm sure those are questions that you can't answer now because we have to wait for season five. But unfortunately, I think uh, <laughs> today. Uh, thank you so much for taking time to speak with me. I really, uh, I can't wait to see everybody's reaction to season four, and then even more. Yeah, looking ahead to season five. Dave here again to say thanks to Noel and the teams at Netflix and DreamWorks for this special interview for season four of She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. Be sure to check it out on Netflix now and keep an eye and an ear out for more interviews and reviews from the Saturday Morning Cartoons team in the days, weeks, and months ahead. Thanks again.